Good evening. You are listening to a Rattledgen Broadcasting Premier Podcast, Long Road to Ruin. I am your host, the Mandated Reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledgen. Yay! It's Black History Month, Jason Teasley. Hoorah! Yeah, uh, and what better way to kick off Black History Month than two guy, two white guys in their 40s uh, <laughs> talking everything about Shaft. Yes, sir. I can't think of a better way to kick off our celebration of Black cinema during Black History Month than with not the 70s Shaft, because we did those years ago and those are up in the archives now, but with the Shaft 2000 and Shaft 2019 movie starring Samuel L. Jackson. I'm excited. Uh, we, Jason and I hacked this plot uh, a couple of months back, we were like, you know, J- J- Jason was like, I want to do more recordings. I want to, I want to do more stuff. And I said, okay, you know, February would be a really good month to do that because there's a whole bunch of things I want to do every year. Like I, this has been a, a thing of mine every year that I've been doing podcasting when I've, I'm able to is dedicate a couple of hours a month to movies and TV shows and music uh that you know authentically from the black culture and we get and jason was like yeah i'm all in on that so <laughs> try try to get past the irony of this and just settle in for a wonderful discussion of samuel jackson reprising the role that um taking on the role that richard roundtree made famous shaft shut your mouth jason teasley <laughs> yeah i mean um yeah we talked about this and going into Black History Month, uh, we definitely wanted to tackle more things. I like mm-hmm. coming on shows with you, and you know, you kind of tapped into uh, my my softer side and my intrigue side uh, <laughs> with some of these shows that we're going to do, uh, such as the black exploitation. You know, some of the lighthearted stuff, but most notably, this one was very high on my list because you know, when you think, I, I tend to think about the early Shaft. Mm. Stuff that um, I didn't really watch, I guess you could say, but everybody knows the the Roundtree version of Shaft. Right. Uh, that we, is iconic. Right. And, we talked about that know, before I turned on the camera tonight. That what, regardless of how you might feel about the black exploitation genre as a whole, and it, like every other genre, has its ups and downs. It's good. It's bad. It's indifferent. You can't get past that. You know, Shaft is. A, the character of Shaft is an important part of uh, African-American iconography. Um, he He's, in, in a lot of ways, um, he, you know, he's like a black folk hero. Um, and those those three movies that Sean and I and Pat, and I actually forgot Pat was on that show until earlier today. The that the Long Road to Room we did a few years ago for Black History Month where we covered the first three Shaft movies from the 70s. You know, we talked about how much you know how important that character is um and how it inspired a lot of what what would come in terms of uh films and character creation in the black community and really at large because it's not not just black people i mean this wouldn't have been nearly as successful if if the you know the rest of american culture didn't embrace it yeah and like i said uh i mean the character of chef is iconic enough so you just hear the name, you automatically get that mental image mm-hmm. of Roundtree and the character. Right. Uh, but you, the, you hear the you Isaac Hayes theme music. Yeah. He, he, what you talking about? Yep. Chef's a bad mother. Shut, Shut your mouth. mouth. <laughs> but you get that iconic. You get that 
mm-hmm. that I uh, iconic iconic vision of the character of Shep. And I think this is what makes this really interesting for me because I have that idea in my head. Mm-hmm. But coming back to see Samuel L. Jackson take on the role kind of seemed like a natural fit because he's got that hard-ass attitude mm-hmm. and that just that presence. He has undeniable he, charisma. Like he, he yeah, absolutely they, can carry an action movie, but he's all you know, but he also has sex appeal, he's funny. I mean, I know Samuel L. Jackson for a long time was known as the guy that takes every role. You know, he's kind of like Bruce Willis now um, <laughs> with his 106 Razzie uh, <laughs> award-winning movies. But yeah, for a long time there, like, you know, like people think about Samuel L. Jackson. I'm sure he's Nick Fury, but he's also the snakes on a plane guy. So, yeah, but he really does embody, you know, the spirit of Richard Roundtree for this role. Yeah. And we're going to talk about these two movies because uh, they're very vastly different mm-hmm. uh, as we kind of mentioned off air but we want to kind of dive into it here but yeah just the iconic role of chef uh mm-hmm. samuel L. jackson taking that role stepping into it kind of was like kind of seamless to me because mm-hmm. you got the the picture of chef from the 70s then you just kind of slide samuel L. jackson into that role it's kind of like you know when you mentioned nick fury just on a real side tangent is when the comics modeled Nick Fury after Samuel L. Jackson in hopes mm-hmm. of if there was ever movies that he would play Nick Fury. So it was kind of one of those roles that I guess you could say he was born to play. Very and he plays so. him in, in, in these two movies. Shaft has played very differently. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we'll go, we'll start talking about the first one. I'll let you lead, go ahead and get in the synopsis. Thanks. And Thanks, Jason. Thanks for letting me lead my podcast. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Shaft Segway. 2000, <laughs> seamless, seamless. Um, so Shaft 2000 is really a remarkable film. It came out um, June 16th, 2000, from Paramount Pictures when they were a real studio. Uh, it cost 46 million dollars, had a budget of 107.2, so it was pretty modestly successful. Um, it was directed by John Singleton. John Singleton is an acclaimed award-winning director does a lot of stuff that focuses on the african-american experience uh very much so for african-american audiences but he's also uh i think john singleton directed if i remember correctly direct also directed training day which denzel washington won an oscar for um so what else is john singleton known for most notably if you think of john singleton uh his most iconic movie you're going to go to boys in the hood yes which he was nominated for an academy award for the best director and best original screenplay he directed poetic justice higher learning uh what are you two doing there plotting jason someday we have to talk about higher learning it's it's awesome um rosewood i think i've only seen it once uh baby boy he directed the second fast and the furious movie for what that's worth uh, and then Four Brothers, and then Abduction in 2011. That's the Four last Brothers movie. is so good. And that's the last movie he directed. He produced Hustle and Flow, which is awesome, by the way. Never, um, uh, don't think oh, I've never, seen it. You've never seen Oh, my God. You you sh- absolutely should see Hustle and Flow. It's incredible. Uh, he produced Black Snake Moan, which is also incre- incredible. Not seen it. <laughs> it's, it's in, my, it's in like my top 20. Black Snake Moan is fantastic. Uh, okay. Illegal Tender, which I have never seen. Um, and then he's got some acting credits hither and thither. Uh, so 
yeah so you know john singleton um is i think he's also like a producer now on uh, he co-created snowfall which is like one of my favorite tv series uh it's you know it's it's the that's the tv show about how the cia brought crack to los angeles so anyway this also stars uh so which is why i like it so much uh vanessa vanessa l williams jeffrey wright who's amazing in this christian bale who everyone knows from terminator and the uh the batman movies and his his breakouts his breakout performance american psycho yep dan hedaya who's in everything busta rhymes (laughs) also from higher learning um and fighting forester Tony Collette, and then the aforementioned Richard Roundtree. So, um, just to kind of give you a couple more notes here, the film opened number one for its weekend with $21.7 million, and by the end of its run, it had grossed $70.3 million domestic for a, a grand total of $107, uh, which I mentioned before. Uh, it's got a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.1 out of 10 for Metacritic. Cinema score gave the film a B plus on an A plus to F scale. So, so excuse me. So again, a fairly successful movie. Uh, you know, it's it's not the Avengers, but I don't think it ever was meant to be. Um, the films, even though the uh, the film shares the same title as the 1971 film, it's a contemporary sequel with John with Jackson's John Shaft character being related to the earlier films Shaft played by Richard Roundtree. Only in this one, he says he's his uncle, and then they in the next one. They, uh, oh, yeah. they they recant that. So the plot is as follows: uh, NYPD Detective John Shaft is called to investigate the grievous assault of Trey Howard outside a restaurant. Shaft arrests Walter Wade Jr., the son of a wealthy real estate tycoon who is played by Christian Bell, after noticing blood on him. Wade claims he acted in self-defense. He's coming right for us. Shaft notices an injured waitress, Diane Palmieri eyeing Wade and tries to coach the statement from her, but she claims to have not witnessed anything. Trey's friend tells Shaft that when she and Trey entered the restaurant, Wade racially harassed him. Trey humiliated Wade in response and left the restaurant, and Wade followed after him. Shaft looks for Diane, but she has left. Trey goes into a seizure and dies. When Wade mocks Trey, Shaft punches Wade on the nose and does it again when he is threatened to be transferred to another precinct. At the trial, the judge grants Wade bail of 200000 Wade later calls Shaft to thank him for breaking his nose and that he has fled to Switzerland like you do. Two years later, Wade returns to the country where Shaft uh, greets and rearrests him. Shaft's friends throw him a celebratory party where the elder Uncle Shaft appears and warns him that Wade's wealth puts him at an advantage to beat the case. While temporarily detained at the police headquarters, Wade is befriended by Peoples Hernandez, a Dominican, played by Jeffrey Wright, a Dominican drug lord whom Shaft previously arrested. At the hearing, the judge has Wade surrender his passport and sets bail at $1 million. Shaft resigns from the police force and promises to bring Wade to justice on his own terms. Shaft searches for Diane, but only locates her mother, while Wade offers his deceased mother's jewelry to hire Peoples to go after her. Peoples wants Wade to join him in his drug business, but agrees to the job provided that Wade sells the jewelry. Peoples hires Shaft's former colleague officers Jack Roselli and Jimmy Groves to tail Shaft. The officers, in turn, reveal a snitch among Peoples' gang, who had told Shaft what was happening. Disguised, Shaft and his former colleague, Detective Luger, mug Wade of the money he gathered from selling his jewelry. He then uh, plants the money on Roselian Groves and makes people think they are double-crossing him. However, after getting word that Shaft has left the scene, they follow him. 
Having traced a phone call, Shaft eventually locates Diane, but People's Gang attacks them. In the shootout, Shaft kills People's brother, little brother. Diane's brother, Mikey, and Frankie arrive to retrieve her, but Mikey is stabbed by People's. Shaft, Diane, Rasan, and Frankie take shelter at Rasan's apartment, secretly followed by Roselli and Groves. Diane tells Shaft her eyewitness account of Wade's murdering of Wade murdering Trey. Wade threatens to keep her silent, and then she agrees to accept the payoff on the condition she disappear. Meanwhile... Peoples angrily attacks Wade over his brother's death. Roselli and Grove stake out Rasan's apartment, but when Carmen arrives and starts asking questions, they shoot her in the chest. Peoples gang attack, but Shaft shoots back while Diane and the others flee. Roselli and Groves catch Shaft, but Carmen, who is wearing a vest, kills the corrupt officers at Shaft's command. People, like, like you do, people and his gang pursue and take down Rasan's car. When people... Peoples holds Diane hostage. Shaft persuades him to fight without weapons, but after a momentary face-off, they drop backup guns with Shaft killing Peoples first. Shaft assures Trey's mother about the new trial conditions. However, when Wade arrives, she suits him several times and is subsequently arrested. Back at the police station, Shaft reiterates to Carmen that he prefers to be a private detective. A woman asks them for help in filing assault charges against her abusive boyfriend. Shaft initially is reluctant, but when he sees her injury, he decides to help her via his methods. He and his uncle go together to confront the boyfriend along with Rasan, whom Shaft presents with a new ride. All right, Jason. So Shaft 2000 by John Singleton. What do you think? Uh, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, surprisingly. Uh, now, I'm, I'm a big Samuel L. Jackson fan, but this had everything uh, that you would expect a Shaft movie to have. You had the, you had the, the subtle comedy. Mm-hmm. wasn't over the top like we'll talk about shortly. But you had a lot of the action and a lot of the the persona that Shaft is known for. Kind of that, you know, being the rules mm-hmm. outside the law, vigilante type justice that, you know, he was uh, iconic for in the 70s role. Um, and and it's, it was really, like, intriguing because... What made the this most interesting about me is the the racial undertones that Singleton tackled without mm-hmm. like having you know <clears throat> Keenan Ivory Wayne show up saying message in the corner of uh, mm-hmm. racial profiling the um, the White bigotry the the bigotry in in the America and mm-hmm. and as you stated white privilege because the whole reason why this guy gets um, harassed by rich boy Christian Bell is because it's a black man with a white woman going into a nice restaurant. Right. Um, and he starts shouting things like they don't have malt liquor here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no Hennessy stuff like this, which is stereotypical, you know, black culture. Right. And then when he um, retaliates, he, he, uh, he throws a white <laughs> napkin over his eyes to make it look like a clan robe. Yeah, and he says, I think you dropped this, and he puts it on his head, and it's a a real nice white napkin, a cloth napkin that has the eye holes cut out that makes it look like a clan hood, which is really kind of uh, symbolic. But like I said, it doesn't beat you over the head, because if you boil this down, this is a um, a racially motivated death simply because of white privilege um and the old money mentality the the i have money so i can get a buy with anything what you're tapping into there is something that a lot of movies of the 
Shaft era, Shaft included, obviously, tapped into was the fact that Justice may have been blind, but it was also out of reach from a large portion of the black community. There was, <clears throat> I said white privilege before. I should have, what I should have said, though, this is, they're both present, is institutional racism. You know, you have white judges and white lawyers and white cops, and it's hard for black people to get true justice when they've been wronged, especially by somebody who's white, who has means. And that's a lot of what John Singleton is tackling here. I'm going to let you finish, but um, as much as I like this movie, because of some of the things that John Singleton felt the need to say with this, I thought in some ways it departs from the traditional shaft of 1971, but I, you know, I'll let you continue. But um, like I said, I, I mean, I don't have, an extensive knowledge of these 70 shaft movies. Mm-hmm. Like I know the visualization, but sure. like just sit down and watch them. So I don't really have that to draw from like you do, but it, it tackled something that, you know, uh, Singleton's known for and That's uh, looking at things from the black uh, perspective mm-hmm. and the fact that shaft does work outside the law to get justice where, Typically, justice would never be um, found because uh, mm-hmm. justice is blind. And like you said, it, it goes to show that a institutional racism does exist because you have, and in any any facet, uh, you have old money, mm-hmm. and usually old money is associated to old rich white guys who have basically cater to their kids and show that their kids money can buy their freedom. So there's money can do anything for them. Yeah. Which you can act outside the, black- the law. You can act outside the law because we, we have enough money to buy the protections that can let you continue to do so. Yeah. And which in, in this and shaft as a whole shows the undertones of the struggles the black community has in seeking justice. And mm-hmm. I think that, like I said, it doesn't really beat you over the head. But I think he gets his point across uh, really well. Yeah. I think jo- I think John Singleton handles it with pretty deft hands. Um, here's kind of my good, bad, and ugly with this. I think the cast is phenomenal, and I and you know me, yes. a big fan of The Wire and Oz, <laughs> that whole like HBO New York City Law and Order crew. So you had um, you had uh, Lee Turgeson, I believe, who is from who is um, not McManus, who is uh, what's his face from Oz. Uh, you had uh, Sonia Sohn, who is in the, who's from the Wire, Bubbles was in this, so I was having a grand old time. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright as Peoples Hernandez, I didn't even recognize him. Like I, you think of Jeffrey yeah. Wright now, and he's the Watcher, uh, you know, in the Marvel cartoon, you know, or uh, I just saw him in the French Dispatch. And granted, it's these are now um, this is a twenty year old movie compared to the stuff I just cited, but like. When I realized who that was, like it's a young Jeffrey Wright, and he's playing yeah. this like despicable Dominican drug lord, I was like, "Oh my god!" Talk about just enveloping yourself in the role and making it come alive. Like that's acting, my friends. Jeffrey Wright is pretty incredible here. Um, you know, we know. I, I, I joked before about we know Christian Bale as Batman. I'm not wearing hockey pants. Um, and we know him from as John Connor in Terminator. Uh, Salvation, and people know him from American Psycho. He plays such a scumbag here. Yes, he fits his role perfect. 
He fits yeah. his role like the snooty rich white mm-hmm. rich kid that can that daddy will save me. He plays this role so good. So condescending. Like he is just he is just the worst. Like you watch him and you're like, I don't like being white anymore. And it's that's what yeah. he's supposed to do. Like that's the effect he's supposed to have on the audience and it worked it totally worked christian bale is fantastic and then of course we get to samuel jackson here's my problem with this i always have a problem with some of these movies they're very rarely perfect here's my issue with shaft if you take shaft out of it like and you just said you know black cop story that's the name of the movie okay samuel jackson is black cop copperson it doesn't change the story. It doesn't change the story at all. It also doesn't really change any aesthetic or motif. It's just, uh, it's just a, a cotton war. Uh, and I and and that's the thing. Shaft had a very very specific. If you go back and watch the seventy one film, uh, I remember I, listening back to the podcast that Pat, I, and, and Sean did. We talked about how it's a window into that era of this of new york i mean the late 60s the early 70s it was the vietnam vets coming home and becoming in a homeless drug addicted in many cases mentally ill population and what effect that had on the safety in the streets this was you know pimps and hookers a lot of the stuff that you see in the show the deuce from david simon um yes i do watch other shows besides the wire um so it's it's a lot of that and you know and shaft is sort of this knight in shining armor against this wave of terror and crime and filth and and whatnot that is just enveloped and dragging manhattan into into the east river their shaft cutting through all of it and he has all of this you know he has all of this uh suave ability with the ladies and he's a tough guy and you know people he's respected in the street you get a little bit of that with sam jackson here you get you get that he's respected in the street you get that he's you know that he's tough, or whatever. But I didn't see like the ladies' man part of him. Um, what are you talking about? Is, you know, it's my duty to please that booty. That's the second movie that he says that. He does in the first one too. Does he? Oh, I completely missed it then, because I, I remember it yeah. in the second movie because it made me laugh. Um, yeah, that's why sure he, he says, does it in the first. You know what? Now that I think about it, yeah, you're right. He does say it in in the first one because in the second one he goes, he points to Usher and he's like, "It's your duty to please that booty." Which I yeah. was I was in tears laughing. Um. Anyway, I don't know. I well, he may have said it. I just I felt like John Singleton was using this as a vehicle to talk to talk about institutional racism and white privilege and uh you know the injustice in the black community, you know, and their tumultuous at best relationship with um with the police, and I think he forgot to have like fun with the character. You know, this is this is still a a very fun, you know, iconic character. And while I think Samuel Jackson makes up the deficit with just his sheer charisma, I don't know if John Singleton, as the director who's sort of framing this whole narrative, really remembered that that's still a part of this. I think it was just very primarily focused on, hey, let's tell a let's tell a movie about how shitty white people are to black people, which I'm there for. I'm okay with that, but that seemed to be all the movie was about. Well, this goes back to something we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and a little bit off air is Singleton may have done this simply and portrayed it as Shaft because Mm -hmm. of the the cultural icon that Shaft is to get the point across. Because you see a Shaft movie with Sam Jackson, that's going to turn some heads. If you see 
you know, black cop movie <laughs> starring Sam Jackson. You're not going to get, I guess, not yeah. going to be the attention grabber. I was going to say before the um, before the lockdown, before COVID really broke out, um, might have actually even been before that. I don't remember quite what year this was. It was whatever year uh, Movie Pass was a thing. There was a uh, movie. It was a January release. It was called Proud Mary, and I was like the only person in the theater because it was, you know, a very black movie with a black female lead star, and she's in an action role, and she was cool as shit in it. But you know, who cares? Now, had she been now had it been coffee, you know, had it been Foxy hey, Brown, hey, you know, hey, <laughs> you're 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 talking about some some future t- shows. So yeah, yeah. I mean. Well, yeah, I gotta if, weave it in here, but like that—that's my point. Like people know who Foxy Brown is, um, yeah. you know, they might not know who Coffee is, and that's part of the reason why we're going to talk about it because Coffee is what leads to Foxy Brown, not the other way around. But like people know, like people who saw um, Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown knew yeah. who Pam Greer was. She she knew she was that Foxy Brown character, and that who's also iconic and from the same yes. Shaft. And so, if Proud Mary had been called like it had been just a Foxy Brown remake more people would have gone to see it. But it was oh, Proud yeah. Mary and no one knew what the hell it was. I'm sure people don't now. And it's, you know, it's all these years later that I'm talking about it. My point being, to your point, I'm backing up your point, is that it feels almost like this was somebody's cop script. And then they were like, okay, this looks like it'll be uh, pretty cheap to make. Let's get some good stars in here. Let's, let's you know, we'll shoot it in the streets of New York. We'll get the HBO New York Oz Wire crew. The, the law and order crew and um you know and we'll you know but what are we going to do to what's the hook going to be what are we going to do to sell this to people to get them to come see it i don't know let's call it shaft you know and then we'll have john singleton direct it and he can use it to you know put his agenda forward um but that but that goes back to the point that i was trying to make before which is it's a good movie i just don't know how good of a shaft movie it is and that's yeah and the I, other, I get that's that. the other thing you're shooting this in contemporary new york in 2000 it's not like they it you know it was made in 2000 but it takes place in the 70s it takes it takes place in 2000 by that point we've had giuliani we've had disney times square is cleaned up new york's not new york you know like it once was it's not the gritty new york no and that and that's missing from this like i almost think that instead of doing it in new york they should have done it in detroit you know or another city that was falling into the nearest body of water because at that point, because like New York's just not the kind of New York you need a shaft for, um, you know, in my opinion. So, so you're saying New York doesn't, doesn't deserve to get shafted. No, New York doesn't deserve to get shafted. Now Detroit maybe. Um, and yeah. maybe even like Los Angeles in 2000, I think there were still like some pretty messed up parts of Los Angeles. Or I mean, you, you could know. probably even done like Miami. Yeah. Um, yeah, shoot this in Little Haiti, <laughs> which even when I moved to Miami in 2005, people were telling me, yeah, Whitey, don't go into don't go into Little Haiti. <laughs> don't go into Little Havana. Don't go into Little uh, Little Haiti. Just just stay stay in your part of Miami. Uh, yeah, so that, might have, that might have been a good one. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, we could we could agree that Shaft was the vehicle to get Singleton's. I guess kind of get funded because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's got the name recognition and to get Singleton's message across. So I, yeah. I think it, it could have been, like you said, it could have been titled anything, but shaft was the hook to get it, get it yeah. greenlit and get the funding and get eyes on the movie. 
strangely, the sequel to this kind of sequel, so confusing, this this really weird sequel remake thing that they did, it gets, I feel like, gets a little closer to the iconic Richard Roundtree shaft than this one does, but it's not as good of a movie, and so there's the trade-off. But before we, before we get there, Jason, is there anything else you want to talk about with uh, the first shaft movie, or do you think we got it? I think we need to talk about the soundtrack. We do need to talk about the soundtrack. You can't have a Shaft movie. I wasn't ready for that one. I do Grammarly first. Um, I think you can't have a good Shaft movie without that classic, um, without the classic Isaac Hayes Shaft song that does feature in this movie as it did in the previous ones. And do you know where you can find any of Isaac Hayes music, not just the Shaft soundtrack? No, Mark. Where can I find you can the find Shaft it on, soundtracks? You can find it on Amazon Music Unlimited. Wouldn't it be funny if I said you can find it on Grammarly? Um, <laughs> that's the one I do first. Uh, well, I you. wasn't. I wasn't meaning for you to go in because I mean, this does have a classic soundtrack, and I figured you know we. Okay. You asked me a question. I was going, you know, because this does have an iconic soundtrack. Jason, shut your mouth. Um, for you <laughs> listeners of Long Road to Ruin, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Shit, I'm doing the Grammarly plugin for real this time. Damn it. <laughs> Amazon Music as a free 30-day trial. <laughs> Can you believe I'm not drunk? Um, as a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Over 70 million songs on Amazon Music for you to listen to. For reals this time, not for play play, including Isaac Hayes. And so click the link at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, it's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network for your free trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Yikes. Alrighty. We'll fix it in post. I don't edit. Anyway. Yeah, we're live. (laughs) This is live, pal. Uh, let's go on and talk about the sequel to this, Shaft 2019. Um, hang on. Shaft 2019, which came out... Uh, in 2019. In 2019. Um, <laughs> and stars Usher. You know Usher. You ever listen to much Usher there, Jason? Some of his older stuff, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, w- I was I was rocking some Usher back in the nineties. Yeah, I uh, not a big Usher fan. I didn't even realize that that's what he looked like. All right, I have it all up now. So yes, Shaft twenty nineteen came out uh, in the United States on June fourteenth of twenty nineteen. It had a thirty to thirty five million dollar budget and bombed terribly. It only made twenty one point four million dollars. It was directed by Tim Story. Tim Story, you might know from the following nonsense. Um, Fantastic Four 2005 and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Um, He's also made such luminary projects such as Barbershop, Ride Along, Ride Along 2. Not great. Um, He was... uh, Oh, he directed the Tom and Jerry movie that uh, reviewed last year. So he definitely he has a style. <laughs> he's yeah, shitty. He's done a bunch of music videos. Here's some of his music videos that he's done. You guys, you ready for this? And I think this tells you a lot about his. I'm going to uh, guarantee Usher's probably a couple of them. Uh, you'd be surprised. Um, 
So he has directed I Can't Feel It by the Ghetto Mafia, I Do by John B., Sweet Lady by Tyrese from the uh, Fast and the Furious movies, Are You Still Down, Jason Teasley, by John B. featuring Tupac, Cheers to You by Playa, He Can't Love You by Jagged Edge, I'll skip down here a little bit, I Drive Myself Crazy by NSYNC, Tell Me a Drill by KC and JoJo, uh, let's move down a little bit more. Ah, shit. Ride or die, chick by the LOX. Yeah. You ever listen to much LOX, Jason? No, I, I've never even heard of them. You've never heard of the, you've never heard of LOX? No. Crazy. Because that is one cracker. of my, one of my favorite rap cracker. songs. He directed the video for it. Oh, oh I'm going to have to make you do like a blind react to this now. Wild Out by LOX. Yeah. Love that song. I'm you like get, fucking ever, Saltine. You ever wild out, Jason? You ever wild out? I, I wild out all the time, <laughs> you know, with my with my applesauce that you see me eating earlier. Um, true story. I actually do really like wild out. It used to be on one of my rap mixes. And then uh, skipping down here, "Nasty Girl" by Brandy Eve, Naturey Naughton, and Nadine Velasquez. I don't know who most of those people are. All right, so that's Tim's story for you. And this stars. Uh, Samuel Jackson reprising his role, Usher, who plays his son, Regina Hall, who plays uh, J- uh, Usher's mother, and then Richard Roundtree corrects the record. He is not Shaft's uncle, but rather his father, and he gets a fairly decent role here towards the end of the movie. So, did you see this at all when it came out? No. No, you had no, no idea what uh, this was. I mean, I knew about it. Mm-hmm. But it was just not one of those movies that jumped out. This says, "Hey, I need to see this movie." Mm-hmm. I um, it's funny because when when I put this together, I thought I knew that there had been a second Shaft movie, a Shepherd, a, a second contemporary Shaft movie. But I thought it was much more serious than this. And so when I was doing yeah. the research for the show, I was like, "Oh, this is an action comedy from the Tom and Jerry guy." And I'm like, "Okay." And I now I can't remember what the hell movie I'm thinking of that was like this serious like black crime movie that came out that nobody saw because I could have sworn it was Training that. Day. No, 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 no. It was like re- it was within the last two three years. Um, so I'd I'd have to I'd have to go through the last couple of years. Maybe 2019 is what I'm thinking of. But but again, I was thinking of this, and that's not it because this is a dopey ass movie. So. Let's get into um, a couple more notes here. Uh, it was released on Netflix internationally on June 28th, 2019. It was released alongside Men in Black International. Uh, and like I said, it bombed. And then it has a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 4.8 um, average. And the web's critical consent... the. Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus reads, decades removed from the original, this multi-generational chef struggles to keep its characters interesting or anything other than uncomfortably outdated. Yeah, this is... um, I'm just reading another line here. With its groaner jokes and TV pilot production values, this new film is the last attempt at updating the character to contemporary action hero tastes. Um, Look downright old school. All right. So any, uh, any thoughts you want to share going into the movie before i read the plot synopsis um, which is it is. my wife thought this was great my wife my wife actually watched this one thought it was one of the funniest movies ever right um but i i i didn't i didn't i didn't find the humor that funny i mean I, there it was is, some it is things the same joke beaten to death over and over it and is over again. like 
I mean, you see some of the, you see some of the comedy, but it's like so forced. I was like, <laughs> um, yeah, this this one, and it's like you've got the MIT smart kid who. And then you like find out, and I messaged you when I started this, and I was like, "Is this a sequel or a remake or what? A retelling?" Because you see, like in the beginning of and the montage, answer was yes. <laughs> the, All the, those the beginning of the montage, you're like seeing like scenes from the first movie, and mm-hmm. just like, and it puts you in a real weird headspace to begin with, after especially watching them back to back. So yeah, it's this movie was it was a movie. Uh, it was interesting. I had gonna, some bright spots. Yeah, I'm going to defend this movie in one place, and then I'm going to go right into the plot synopsis. My complaint about the first one was that it felt like it's all the it's all the action beats of Shaft without any of the fun, without you know, without any of that side of that character that makes him endearing to people. He's ju- you know, he's just serious cop guy uh, on a, on a mission to to bop the man. Which okay, I'm there for, but. Can't we have some fun? And it was like Tim Story thought that's what the assignment was. Like, okay, we need to take everything that John Singleton does and take all the seriousness out of it and put the fun back in Shaft. We this needs to be a fun character. So I am not surprised your wife thought this was hilarious because I think like that's the like your wife and my wife and you know people who like don't watch the movies to watch like serious shit. They you know they they want fun, light entertainment. Um. I think that's the that's the audience he was going after, and it's not necessarily a, a you know it, it's a formula for success. There's a reason why a lot of movies go in that direction is because there's a lot more people out there that appreciate that kind of humor than not. I just the timing on this may have been wrong. The interest level, like by by you know, the chef is a character of the late '60s, early '70s. By 2000, it was kind of antiquated, but at least John Singleton yeah. had a vision and ha- you know and had an agenda. By 2019, who the hell remembers who Shaft is unless I bring it up? You know, right? <laughs> I'm talking about like the average person here because like the ne- like I was reading today, as a matter of fact, the original like Shaft movies I think was preserved by the National Congress, you know, as a part of history, and you know we talked about you know what what the character means, but. To the average person, they might know the song. They might be able to sing a lick from the song or two. But most people don't know who this is. And they're certainly not running out to the theater in 2019 when 20 minutes later it'll be on streaming service to go see it. I think there's therein lies the problem. Yeah. Um, this is one this is one of those movies that nobody was in a rush to see. It was perfectly willing to wait to come, you know, to, to see on on t- television. All right. So in 1989, New York PD detective John Sheff and his wife Maya and their infant son, J.J. Shaft, survive an assassination attempt by drug lord Piero Gordito Carrera. Concerned that Shaft's lifestyle will put them in danger, Maya moves upstate, divorces Shaft, and raises J.J. on her own. 25 years later, Shaft has quit the NYPD to become a PI, and J.J. is a rookie FBI analyst and cybersecurity expert with a degree from MIT. After Kareem and his childhood friend and former U.S. Army soldier is said to have died because of a heroin overdose, J.J. concludes he must have been murdered. J.J. travels to Harlem to investigate Manuel, the drug dealer who sold the heroin to Kareem allegedly bought, but is violently ejected from his property. While being treated for a minor injury in the hospital by Dr. Sasha, J.J.'s other childhood friend and his unrequited crush, he shows her Kareem's toxicology report. 
She notes that the amount of heroin in Kareem's system would have killed him long before he could have taken that much by himself, suggesting that he was indeed murdered, just like Kurt Cobain. Moving on. With no other recourse, <laughs> J.J. turns to his father for aid. Shaft agrees to help after realizing that J.J.'s case may lead him to Gordito. The two begin investigating together, but J.J.'s progressive white-collar outlook on life clashes with Shaft's old-school streetways. Over and over and over and over. And, over. <laughs> and oh, God, the movie's over. After confronting Manuel, the Shafts investigate brothers watching brothers. The drug rehab from <laughs> Health founded with fellow ex-soldiers Cutworth, Williams, and Dominguez. They There they learn that Kareem stopped going to rehab in favor of attending services at a mosque currently under suspicion by the, for FBI, by the FBI for terrorism. Sasha accompanies JJ and Shaft to investigate the mosque where they are removed from the premises after the imam notices JJ's FBI badge. After Shaft convinces JJ and Sasha to plan a dinner together, the, the two Shafts investigate a convenience store owned by a woman named Benny Rodriguez who donated 500000 to the mosque. Maya calls JJ to inform him that she is coming to New York City to meet a man for dinner. She's overheard and later followed by Shaft. The Shafts each separate, uh, each at separate restaurants, survive assassination attempts orchestrated by Benny. Maya forces Shaft to kick JJ out of the investigation for his own safety like you do. JJ turns over evidence they have gathered to the FBI who arrest the mosque's imam. However, the media accuses the FBI of Islamophobia and JJ's boss, uh, Vietti, fires him. JJ returns to Shaft and overhears a conversation about Gordito leading him to believe that his father was stringing him along the entire time. While Shaft visits and reconciles with Maya, JJ and Sasha track down Benny to an abandoned warehouse and learn that Brothers Watching Brothers is a front for drug smuggling. Like, like <laughs> of course it is. Kareem was yeah. killed by Cutworth when he threatened to blow the whistle on their operation. JJ gets discovered by smugglers. Sasha is kidnapped while JJ is rescued by Shaft. Shaft introduces JJ to his grandfather, John Shaft Sr., where they acquire more firepower because he has a small arsenal in his apartment. Like you do. Like you do. And Shaft Sr. decides to accompany them in an assault on, in, on Gordito's penthouse. The Shafts kill the drug smugglers while JJ has an intense fight with Cutworth and kills him, avenging Kareem's death. He rescues Shash, Sasha before being confronted at gunpoint by Gordito. Gordito attempts to shoot JJ despite Shaft. But Shaft takes the bullet and shoots Gordito, causing him to crash through a window and fall to his death before collapsing himself. In the aftermath, Shaft recovers at the hospital with Maya's support. At the insistence of Shaft Sr., JJ and Sasha kiss, and they finally begin a relationship. Vietti soon offers JJ a promotion to field agent, but JJ turns it down in favor of joining his father and grandfather in their PI business. At the end, the, the three generations of Shafts walk away together. Uh, before you jump in with your thoughts, Jason, I just want to say my favorite scene of this movie, and it, and it goes to everything that I think makes this not better, but definitely different and worth appreciating. The very first time you meet Shaft in, uh, in the contemporary part of the movie, like not in the flashback, He's got glitter on his face from banging a uh, a stripper. Yeah, she answers. A, <laughs> she answers the door topless. Yes, and I'm like, oh, already I'm enjoying this movie more than the first one because as much as I like a serious John Singleton cracky tale, you know, you can't go wrong when the when, you know when the, one of the first scenes of the movie is glittered boobs. I, I just you know I'm a simple man with a simple plan, Jason Teasley. This uh, yeah, Tim mean, story. Knew the assignment, and the assignment was glittery <laughs> boobs on, on Sam Jackson's face. Yeah, and um, also like the the fact that you know, 
I, I think if you would have took the action from the first one mm-hmm. and the humor from this one and being able to blend them together, you would have had a hell one of a good chef. movie. Yeah. Yeah, you would have had a because they're definitely opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, sure are. So this one, I, I was, um, this was basically, and you're going to probably laugh at this an- analogy. This was basically uh, an amped up version of Carlton Banks um, mm-hmm. go- going to the hood uh, <laughs> and under- not understanding what's going on. Because you have this FBI agent analyst mm-hmm. who went through MIT, which obviously had to also go through some FBI training. Right. Suddenly be against guns, which is interesting. <laughs> but yet he is very, but, but yet, yet he is very proficient with a gun. Well, I don't remember when woke became a thing. Like, I don't know how long we've had to live with this interminable, ridiculous colloquialism. But he's the woke. He's supposed to be like woke shaft. That's his whole character. No, I, honestly, this is, he was the token black guy to any movie. <laughs> okay. I mean, he was a token black guy in a in a predominantly black movie. But that's what's funny about him. Like, I want to give you your say, but I, I we do have to go a little back and forth here because I think he does. I think the character does bring up a valid point. Why is it when you know when you have a a black character who speaks with uh, good eloquence. Uh, I can't even do it. Um, well, not, I wasn't going with eloquence, but uh, that speaks with good elocution. That's the word. Jesus. I'm tired, everybody. I'm tired, Grandpa. Uh, well, that's just too damn bad. Speaks <laughs> with good elocution. Um, is, you know, clean and not to be... Not to be that guy, but uh, if now because now I'm doing a Joe Biden bit, but you know, it presents himself as anybody who was white would present themselves when they have a high education and a fair amount of money. Suddenly, you're not black enough, and the movie's talking about it's talking about it in a really dumb, hit you over the head with a pan kind of way. But I think it's a valid point to bring up, and I think that him as a character, like I sympathize with him because here you have his father who is you know, fun. <laughs> Fun having, you know, uh, violent, sexy, you know, sex having shaft, and he's like, and he, you know, he's like, oh, this is this is not for me. So I, uh, I attend, I attend to my madness See. properly, and and he gets picked on by his dad, and when they do it once or twice, I don't mind it. I think it's a, it, I think it's good dramatic tension, good comedic tension. When it's ninety minutes of the entire runtime, I'm like, ugh, could we, could we ever move on from this? Now, see, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree there because okay. I, I think that they went over the top with the whitewashing of the black guy <laughs> uh, and tried to make him an Oreo. Is that the correct term? I mean, um, you're the one making the point, so you you make it so as I, best I guess. You can. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I've seen stuff. You know, I've got friends that uh, do that. That said, that they're they've been quoted as other people have quoted them as Oreo because they've got a black exterior, but they're all white on the inside. It's because it's like, of it's like the opposite of that, where you have white kids who grow up in poverty and, but they, and, but they've grown up in an integrated impoverished neighborhood. So they sound like the black kids they grew up with. And right. so the, and, and so the colloquial almost like racist term is wigger. And it's like, why does, 
I, I, I get somewhat culturally why this is white and this is black, but can we not get past what's to me kind of a um, just ridiculous thinking, sort of, sort of archaic? That's what I can't get yeah. tonight, archaic thinking about our culture. Like, why, why if you sound dumb, you're black, but if you sound smart, you're white? I, no, that no, work? I'm. No, that's not what I'm and saying. I'm not, and I'm, I'm not saying you're saying that, but that's definitely where, yeah, where people approach but, these sort of things from. Yeah, but like it's you could have done it, you could have written this character and not like been over the top with it. The word you're looking for is foppish. They 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 went like we want him to sound like an educated person. We want him to sound like somebody who has means, and they went all the way to fop. And it's like yeah, come back just somewhat. Yeah, it's like you you and this is what what you see in um in a lot of cine, cinema when you do um portray a black individual as mm-hmm. being intelligent and stuff there's not it, it's not a gray area it's it's <laughs> an extreme right and I think that's what they did with this is because and, and they did it to a so far extreme that it kind of took me out of the movie because there's not a relationship because they're trying, they was trying to do it as, you know, he was, he was raised in the suburbs. He was, he was basically Carlton Banks. And <laughs> because he, he was raised in this lifestyle, he didn't know it was like, he was so disconnected from the black culture that there was an issue. And, and that took me out of it because you can have an, a highly educated uh, African American, and not basically make him sound like so. Like I don't know the I don't know the word I'm trying to get, but it's like you could do it without being over the top. You you could portray them without making it sound um, cartoonish. So here's the funny thing about Tim's story. I was just looking at his while you were talking. I was looking at his uh, Wikipedia page again. He was nominated for two different NAACP Image Awards for Outstanding Directing in a Feature Film or Television, two thousand six and two thousand thirteen. Um, he, again, he's the guy that brought you Barbershop, which I think is pretty pretty lauded among people who have seen it as uh, a pretty strong movie, um, emblematic of at least a part of the black culture. And it's it's such a funny thing because here we are almost accusing them of characterizing him in a very like mocking, you know, almost uh, almost racist way. But it's Tim Story the one doing it, as if to say, like, I mean, he had every opportunity to shape this narrative the way that he wanted. I mean, this was written by Kenya Barris and Alex Barno, but ultimately it's his movie at the end of the day. And certainly directors have their influence on the script, or can have their influence on the script. He chose to make him that way as if to say, this shit's funny. People think it's funny to see a black guy act hoity and foppish and, you know, and then to be brought, you know, and then to over the time, like acquire a bit of um, a bit of angst to him, a bit of street. Yeah. Um, And then the other and it works the other way, too, because Samuel Jackson is a sort of really turned up. It's almost like pro wrestler version of Shaft. You know, which which cracked me up, but it was definitely over the top. It was like, okay, yeah. so what are we? It was like, it was like they sat down <clears throat> when they were writing the script. They sat down with a pad and they're like, "What are Shaft's characteristics?" And they're like, he, 
he's a detective. He, you know, he solves crimes. He, he's a good fighter. He's good with the ladies. And they were like, okay, so we have to, sh we have to show all of those things here. And it was, and it was in the most like blatant upfront way or hit you over the head way possible. But to, to the point that we, we started off with when, when we began, you, know, you talked about like your wife liking this. And I said, you know, there's a lot of people, there's more people out there like your wife and my wife than not who like hit you over the head kind of humor. And so, it's, right. it's, and so I struggle with this because while I'm with you, I didn't love this movie or anything like that. No, I can see the appeal, I think. And I can see where, where Tim's story is like, this isn't about me. This is about trying to draw the biggest crowd and sell the most tickets for a feature that I was hired to direct. And when you know that the vast majority of people like stupid, broad, over hit you over the head humor, that's where they're going to go with and, you know, and go with stereotypes and over characterizations and whatnot. And with that, I want to go to the other end of the spectrum. When mm -hmm. I, I want to talk about how Shep was, you had all the tropes and stereotypical things mm -hmm. about Shep too. Absentee father. Yeah. That mm -hmm. um, suddenly wants to be back in his son's life uh, and wants to like try to be He's been absent all these years, and then he wants to just come back in and think that he's going to assume the father role. Um, you, you got, um, you know, a promiscuous person, which is Shaft. Um, that's, but you still have have that, um, the, you know, the seediness and everything. It's like they they there was no gray area for either one of these characters. You went over the top on both ends, right? And then tried to bring it back after because that's what lost me a lot is because they went so over the top mm -hmm. with all these characters and made them cartoonish. Similar. It's kinda, it was kind of like, okay, okay but I, here's, let me ask you a question. Decent. If the, you know, we, you, we, we were talking before we started recording live tonight, how much, you know, you were thinking about like other buddy cop movies where opposites attract and all of that. And so I'm thinking like rush hour, like people yeah. liked rush hour because you had, Chris Tucker and Jackie Brown, you know, there, there's Jackie nothing Chan. about, sorry, Jack, Jack, Jackie Jack Brown. <laughs> nice podcast, but the one guy can't get his word straight. No, no, I can't. Not tonight. Um, Jackie Chan uh, and Chris Tucker, they couldn't have been more opposite. Right. Right. And that, but that's what makes it. The humor is, is, is the clashing between them. Um, and then, you know, and then fighting crime together and that sort of thing. And I'm wondering how much of the Shaft script was yet again another script in some executive producer's drawer that, you know, that they were like, okay, what are we going to, what title are we going to slap on this so that people will go see it because they recognize what this is? Because if we just put it out under its original title, which is, you know, Foffish Black Cop and his, and his angry dad, no one's going to go see that. So, well, that that's and that's what I'm wondering. Like, how much of this was really like we we are we are sitting down to figure out how to tell a Shaft story in 2019, and how much of it was we had a script lying around that needed a hook. Well, also you got to look in Rush Hour. You have the cultural diversities too. You you have the the East meets West style, the the cultural differences and everything like that too. So that worked on on that level this was you was trying to do a cultural difference <laughs> in an all-black movie 
mm-hmm. <laughs> a black centric movie because it was and about, it was about generational work. cultural differences. You know, it's like the millennial and the and the boomer, that kind of a thing. But, but do you really need that to be shafted? Do you really can you right. do that without? No, I agree. Without I agree with that part you. of it. Like, if tell that story, go ahead. But that's my problem with a lot of movies now. Is somebody wants to tell you a story, and the next question is, okay, but how are you going to get people to leave their house? You know, right. or are you so, just going to make this and try to sell it to directly to a streamer? Because I yeah, it, look at something like Red Notice. Like Red Notice has a hot cast in The Rock, Gal Gadot, Gadot, however you pronounce it, and Ryan Reynolds. Ryan or woman. And would anyone have gone to see that movie in the theater? Probably not, because what the hell's a Red Notice? And is you know, is some are, are people running out to the theater to see the new Rock movie? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on if there's a pandemic going around. However, look at what kind of gangbusters this crap ass movie did on Netflix. It was like like the most watched movie in Netflix history. And so, I, to to my point, I something like this Shaft 2019. I almost think that they'd have been better off just making whatever dumb movie they wanted to make and then try to sell it to a streamer than, than put this thing in theaters. Yeah. Cause that's the, that's the, the culture we live in now is mm-hmm. the video on demand, the instant gratification right. uh, society that we are. And yeah, I mean, unless it's a big budget Marvel movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. people are tend to stay home and watch stuff. Now I'm curious um, to see what the audience score with this is because I, I bet it's high. <laughs> because I, I can see the Shaft 2019. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm willing to bet one shiny nickel that while one the, shiny nickel, one we'll, shiny we'll nickel, bet, we'll bet we'll bet a alcoholic beverage in October when I'm back down in Florida. Okay, I'm gonna share my screen. Are you ready? Are you yeah. ready, Jason? My contention yeah. was that the audience, if they saw it, would love it, and that this should have been a streamer instead of instead of a uh, in theater okay. movie because no one's leaving their homes to go see this, but they're more than happy to watch it at home, and they'll love it when they do. Are you ready? Okay, Here go we ahead. go. Ninety-four percent. Ninety-four percent. Woo! That that is a a a very Dark contrast. <laughs> that is the story, my friend. That is the headline right there. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that if if this would have been on a video on demand or a streaming platform, mm-hmm. yeah, I I think it could have done uh, better numbers. Sure. But the fact is, we and that's the society we live in. But are we? And this goes back to to ask. Are we done with basically is the theater industry on a decline? Well, Robert and I talk about that. I feel like almost on a weekly basis. We're going to talk about it again tomorrow when we discuss Moonfall. Um, you know, if it's not an event picture, a lot of things just die on the vine. And I think they're trying, they're struggling with you know what do you put in the theater and for how long versus not. And it's 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 a fluid situation. But to round this back to Shaft and then conclude this discussion, here's here's my sort of takeaway from it. I. If you're not into broad comedy, this is not for you. Um, and and while I liked how I liked that they made the Shaft character even more fun, it was like they both the the 2000 and 2019 really struggle with what Shaft was in the 70s. What the identity? Was. Yeah, like one one went too far, almost conservatively, like he's too serious. The other one goes too far the other way, where he's right. too comical. Neither one really gets the character. 
And then everything else, I mean, I think comes down to personal opinion because like it's an entertaining enough movie. I wasn't bored by this in any way. And obviously it has appeal to your general audience, which is something I'm constantly trumpeting on DMU Hollywood that, yeah, us snooty film people tend to crap all over these things like that. But you ask the average person, like, they think it's great. They laugh, they cried, they hurled. They got, you know, they got the theater experience they wanted out of it. Um, so all in all, kind of summing up our conversation on these two Shaft movies, they're both fun and interesting in their own ways. I'm not sure either one, though, is an actual Shaft movie. Yeah, I'm going to give you the yeah. final word here. Yeah, I mean, I didn't hate either one of these movies. I liked, mm -hmm. I liked different aspects of them. Uh, like we stated earlier, if you could blend these two movies together, you'd have one hell of a Shaft movie. But one I still think one. you would miss. I, I still think you would miss the the essence of what Shaft actually is. Yep. Um. So I mean, if you're just wanting to, if you're a Samuel L. Jackson film uh, fan, um, definitely check both of these out. I mean, they're both solid movies. The Kill Time have played in the background. But if you're a Shaft fan. Go watch the originals. I think that's fair. So uh, before we go, I do want to remind everybody that one of our great sponsors here is Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products, as you heard me say before in the wrong plug, help you communicate more effectively. It would have helped me communicate more effectively than I'll tell you that much. I could remember words and stuff. Grammarly helps you write mistake for you on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly everywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right, and that concludes our look at the Shaft movies. The first of many uh, celebrations of black cinema here on uh, the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. And Jason, should I tell them what's in store for the rest of the month? Yeah, I mean, this is basically Mark and Jason month here on the Radledge of Broadcasting Network. So go ahead and give us a rundown. Yeah, a couple of months back, Jason was like, I want to do more. And I'm like, here, here's a, here's a laundry list of things I was doing with other people. You can do them all now. Now leave me alone. Um, <laughs> so, the, so we're back to the 70s again, uh, kind of going chronologically here. We're going to be looking at Coffee, uh, I believe the movie that launched Pam Greer and led to Foxy Brown, the one that everyone else yep. knows. Superfly. And Blackula, Jason's new favorite horror movie. It is. I love I love me some Blackula, the love story. And we're going to take a break from Black History Month and talk some football movies on the night of the Super Bowl. We're going to review National Champions, uh, American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story, and We Are Marshall. And then <laughs> February 20th, we're right back in the thick of things. Hey, it's not all silly black exploitation movies. We're, so, we're doing... Um, a little ways back, Sean Comer and I talked about dedicating some Long Road to Ruins to directors. You know, instead of, you know, a, a, as part of a franchise, the franchise of what a director has brought to the screen. And um, and then by, by, by the time we got around to doing this, I had come up with Triple Feature. So we're not doing a Long Road to Ruin because uh, that's still its own thing. But we are going to do a Triple Feature dedicated to one director. And that director is da, 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 Spike Lee. And so finally, we're doing one of my favorite movies of all time, Do the Right Thing. Another, Which I've never seen. Oh, Do the Right Thing is amazing. When you, and when you're done, you're going to be like me, and you're going to want to get the rings that says love and hate, 
and then do a whole speech about it, like the one guy does, like Radio Rahim does, and do the right <laughs> thing. It's so good. I, I want to memorize that speech, just do it live with the rings on. Um, love and the hate, baby. Rings. <laughs> huh? The no. rings. No, you man child. Watch good <laughs> movies, not Marvel movies. Anyway, um, so yeah, it'll be uh, do the right thing. Malcolm X, Malcolm X, starring Denzel Washington, and because Jason had to pick one, Old Boy, um, which is is something I'm really interested to see your your reaction on because okay. it is it is a it's a remake. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's a Korean film. Yeah, that uh, it was original, and the Spike Lee take on it. Mm -hmm. Is very intriguing. It's very Spike Leash. Okay. And I'm I can't wait to talk to you about it. Okay. Um, him and Jason and Alexis will be joining me to review Peacemaker season one, and then we're right back in the thick of things. Jason had to pick one of these. He had to pick one whole one, <laughs> or the majority of them. And so Jason was like, "If we're doing a tribute to Black History, we have to do one of my favorite Black cinema movies of all time, Pootie Tang." And no, then that wasn't my pick. <laughs> that was your pick. Don't it wasn't no, my it was pick. Not. I've never seen the movie. No, I think I think Pootie Tang was just one of those ones we landed on because we needed a third. Because you picked Soul Plane. And no, okay. I That's not how this went, you lion sack. You insisted no. on Pootie Tang and the ladies' man. And I threw no, my I, hands I, up. I've never seen Pootie Tang. <laughs> I know God. how I know it is outrageously. <laughs> off the wall, okay, because everything I've heard on it, but I may have just threw it out there to, because we needed a third. But Ladies Man was my choice, it's the so anchor, Kavassi, and I will have some Cavassier while we reviewed Ladies Man and a fish sandwich or however, and a fish goes. sandwich, fine. In any case, sandwich. because Jason insisted whether he wants to admit it or not. Pootie Tang, the Ladies Man, and yes, given, given the two movies that he had picked. I was like, yeah, I got to pick one of these, and I'm going to pick the worst one I can think of. So, Soul Plane, here we go, which I've actually seen before, and is stupid hilarious. Never seen it. Um, in and then which, I think, does that wrap us up for the month? That that wraps us up for live recordings. We do have some re-airs, though. We have a long road yeah. to ruin for the Beverly Hills cop trilogy. We have an Everyone Loves a Bad Guy for The Wire uh, that Robert and I did. Uh, yes, of all the years I've been doing podcasting, I did one show about The Wire, and it wasn't even my own show. <laughs> um, and then I think that's... Oh, uh, we have two Body Count re-airs. We have the oh, original... Body Count. Yeah, Body Count in the house, baby. Um, we have the original 1992 Body Count album with Cop Killer on it, and then we have, uh, I believe it's Manslaughter is the second one. So that we uh, that we reviewed here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. So yes, all kinds of fun here. Oh, in addition to which, we also re-aired Catwoman, which was fun. Uh, it's always good to listen to, and Jackie Brown, which I mentioned before. Um, as for what we're doing just this week, uh, tomorrow, myself and Robert Winfrey will be reviewing Moonfall. On Wednesday, we're reviewing. Corn Requiem on the Metal Hammer of Doom. Thursday, myself and Alexis Haina are looking at the new group of Looney Tunes cartoons. Also, Batman tickets go on sale. So to mark the occasion, we're re-releasing an on-trial that Sean Comer and I did for Batman v Superman. The second podcast... So I don't like to repeat things. But then again, I didn't know we were going to have access to 
uh, my archive when I made that decision back then. So yes, this will be the second time I have reviewed Batman v Superman. And then the aforementioned Coffee, Superfly, and um, Blackula review will be in the evening with Jason Teasley making his second appearance this week on the network. Uh, Saturday, we have a re uh, the aforementioned re-air of Body Count, self-titled, and that's it. And then Sunday... Real quick, is. we have a re-airing of our Warcraft review from a few years ago to kick off our uh, uh, Uncharted coming out a week from Friday. So we got some video game things going on. And then the aforementioned football triple feature uh, with Jason Teasley and probably maybe kind of sort of Jesse Starcher. All right. That's me. That's all my plugs. Jason, you got me. You want to go ahead and plug your uh, second and short? Yeah, uh, you can catch me on the second and short uh, fantasy football podcast. Uh, that is in partnership with the W2M and Rattling Broadcasting Network. Uh, the, protocol, the protocol sun has returned, um, as Mark likes to call me. Uh, currently, we're going through our buy-sell trade. Um, Dynasty or, players. Or buy-sell keep. Or buy-sell Schmageggy. He changes it every week. Yeah. And well, it's not the same like between the audio and the video. We we like to we like to keep you on your toes, Mark. That's that's part of that's you can I can't attribute that tell to you me. how many times a beach ball has formed on my forehead because of that. Because like, well, which uh, one is you it? You love us. <laughs> you, you love us. Uh, that's what you get when you get the protocol, son. That's right. If it was the product, if it was the prodigal son, I'd put more effort in. Um, but yeah, you could catch us where we're doing our dynasty football, um, buy, sell, trade, keep, uh, go out to dinner with. Uh, whatever um, <laughs> that we're doing, doing weekly there. Um, yeah. And like I said, I mean, this is basically me and Mark snuggle buddy month uh, doing multiple shows together. Uh, covering black history and it's opening me up to a lot of film uh, that I've not seen and a definitely uh, genre that I'm very intrigued in. So tune in, get some takes. Um, and maybe Mark will actually use Grammarly and learn how to talk by the time we review uh, everything on Thursday. Maybe Mark will get more than four hours sleep and remember the English language instead of murderizing it and everyone that gets in my way. And maybe, right. I, maybe I'll remember that I'm supposed to be doing a show before I get a blurring <laughs> alert. alert on my phone. An alert that says, put your damn earphones on. <laughs> put your pants yeah, on. So Let's go. All right. When I have to, when I tell you to put your pants on, it's time to end the show. So thank you, Jason. Thank you for everyone who tuned in live to listen to this. And for those of you who downloaded it after, hey, just a reminder, wherever you happen to have found this, if you're not already subscribed on Spotify or Apple Music or um, Apple Podcasts, whatever, or wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get all the new shows. We drop one daily, whether it's pre-recorded or not. So, you know, if you want to get you know, if you want to stay up to date with all of our shows as they're coming out and contemporaneous with whatever else is going on in the world, make sure you hit that subscribe button uh, and get the newest shows every single day. All right. That's it. That's all for me. Thanks. I'm driving for Jason Teasley. I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe and behave.